It's nice to see all of you today. Exciting times as we get ready for a lot of fun stuff at sunset. Let me just mention a couple of them today. Let's see. It'll be great. This afternoon, um, immediately after the assembly, there will be a preschool picnic. So if you have a preschooler or um, you would like to hang out with families that have preschool kids, uh, you are welcome to do so in the pavilion uh, after the assembly. Um, this Saturday night, we have our ice cream social. Uh, it's at 7 o'clock because typically we expect that you're going to eat dinner first. Some of us like to hold off dinner. Why waste stomach space for food when you have ice cream coming? Um, and so that will be at 7. And if you are into making homemade ice cream, then we welcome you to do so. And we would uh, uh, look, for, we look forward to trying those out. We're also doing a special thing this year. Uh, and we have a bake-off uh, for kids under 12. And so if you have a child under 12, you can help them with, with that as well. Let's see. The fall, uh, there we go. All right, wonderful. Thank you, guys. Um, all right, I've got it. Thanks. So uh, the, the week after that, uh, Sunday, uh, a week from Sunday, the 25th, we will have our back-to-school Sunday. And then that evening, we'll have a special family night uh, at 6 p.m. with dinner on Sunday evening. And then we'll have some specific activities for, for the kids. And so we look forward to, uh, um, for, for all the families, not just for the kids, but we look forward to sharing that time together. Um, next Sunday, Catherine and I are going to be at um, the Pompano Beach Congregation, the Spanish Congregation. They are celebrating 11 years of uh, since they started, and so we will be enjoying uh, some cake and some time with that congregation. And uh, while we're away, you guys will get a treat as well. Uh, Paul Roland will be the guest speaker. Uh, Paul and Helen were missionaries in Montevideo, Uruguay for uh, a number of years, and we are just so pleased that they are part of the congregation here. Uh, Paul spoke in the Spanish Assembly a couple of weeks back, and we felt it only fair that he have an opportunity to speak in, uh, in the English Assembly as well. So he'll be speaking next Sunday on um, Mark chapter 14. When you think of surprise parties, do you like to be the one preparing the surprise or do you like to be the one surprised? Or does it matter? You just want to not do any of them. Um, I've only had one surprise party uh, thrown in my honor. It was when I turned 50. And uh, my, my dear wife uh, pulled it off and I literally honestly didn't know which is hard because I kind of inject myself in a lot of different details of life uh, around me. And uh, so she had a number of people over at the house, and, um, um, and that was 10 years ago. So uh, I'm not expecting one for my 60th. It's already come and gone. So I, I get a little gun-shy whenever we hit the decades, right? So I'm good until 70, and so I can rest a little easy. If it were up to me, I would be on the preparing side. 
That's because I'm a bit of a control freak. And so I would want to be the one organizing and planning and have done that a couple times and then just wait for the person. You know, you work out where, okay, take them to the mall, take them to here, take them to there, just waste some time and then show up at the house and, and you, you plan all this out. Well, um, and then the person comes in, hopefully, uh, uh, they're not doing anything inappropriate at the time or, uh, uh, they, they have a healthy enough heart to resist the shout of surprise when they walk through the door in a darkened room. Um, but, you know, Jesus, on, on the one hand, he, he doesn't want us to have any surprises. He tries to give us up front. Uh, this, this is what the test is going to look like. Uh, th- this is what's going to be expected of us. Uh, this is when all of this is going to be happening. And, and, and so, 2,000 years ago, Jesus promised that he was coming back. And one of those promises was that I am coming soon. In a text that we're going to see today, it almost even sounds like, and some people have painted it this way, that Jesus was actually going to come back within the very generation of the people that heard him speaking 2,000 years ago. Which make it which makes it a little bit difficult for us because if he followed through with that, then that means we missed it. <laughs> We're on the other side of Jesus' his return. But the other possibility is that Jesus was mistaken, that he just missed the mark on that one. And so we're going to look at that text. But before we read it, I, I want to just remind and kind of rehearse previously on Sunday morning at sunset, this is what happened. Uh, last week, we began chapter 13 uh, of our Gospel of Mark that we've been working through. And as some of the disciples were observing the temple and the magnificent structure that it was, one of the wonders of the ancient world at that particular time, they they were observing just how huge and brilliant and amazing the structure was. And then Jesus tells them, well, okay, don't get too carried away. Don't get too attached to this because it's not going to last. And he begins to pull the rug out from under their feet as well as the Jewish people's feet as they think about the center of their life being destroyed. So once they were alone on the Mount of Olives, uh, surrounded by olive trees and fig trees and other uh, vegetation, the four disciples, uh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, go to Jesus and say, okay, so, you know, we're the inside circle. We want the inside scoop, insider information. Uh, when is this going to happen? And what are the signs that are going to uh, uh, surround these things? And, and so the first part of the chapter, Jesus addresses the what. And the what is that the city of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And when you see that starting to happen, run for the hills because they will take no prisoners. And if you are in a position where you're pregnant or if you've got other kinds of constraints, then it's going to be tough because these guys coming in will be ruthless. Um, Don't stop to pack up your suitcase. Don't take your luggage from the overhead bins. Just get off of the plane, get out of Jerusalem, and save yourself while you can. Don't allow your attraction and your faithfulness to this particular system to keep you from moving forward. 
Well, the other thing that he mentions in the final part of that chapter that we looked last we looked at last week was, in addition to that happening, Jesus takes advantage of that to say, and also I'm coming back. The Son of Man will come on the clouds, and then that will bring in the the new era. So, so he's talked about two things. The destruction of Jerusalem, which took place in AD 70, and then he's talking about his return. So now what he's going to do in this last part of the chapter, verses 28 and following through 37, is he's going to tell us the when. Okay. Now as we read through it, keep in mind he's answering both questions. When the destruction of Jerusalem will take place and when the Son of Man will return and usher in the new kingdom. So that's kind of the, um, the backstory leading up to our text today. So Mark chapter 13, verse 28. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. These things. That's an important uh, phrase to keep in your mind. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away, this generation to whom he's speaking, until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you for, I say to everyone, watch. So... Part of the confusion is that Jesus is following a structure that was common in ancient literature. Remember that very few people had access to written materials in these ancient days. And so they used a lot of memory kind of uh, uh, techniques to remember. And so they organized their thoughts in different kinds of patterns. And this structure, the whole chapter, is kind of an A-B-A-B. Sometimes it's A, B, B, A. Sometimes it's different. And, and, and I know that spells Abba, but that's a totally different thing. Uh, but, but this is where he talks about subject A, and then talks about subject B, and then he comes back and talks about subject A, and then he comes back and talks about subject B. Subject A was the destruction of Jerusalem. Subject B was his return. In this text, the first part goes back to the destruction of Jerusalem. And that's the whole thing about the fig trees. The B is going back to his second coming. And that's the part that no one knows the time, no one knows the hour. Now, what's interesting is, because on the one hand, it sounds like, okay, he says these are the signs, but then he says no one's going to know when it's going to happen. And so how do you have signs, but then no one knows? Because he's talking about two separate things. Now, the fig tree is what's called a... Uh, deciduous tree. And that simply means that the leaves fall off at some point during the year. Uh, we don't have too many of those in Miami. Um, 
at some point, one of Catherine's co-workers gave her a stick in a pot and said, now, just water it and plant it and it'll grow. And I was a bit of a skeptic. I thought, yeah, right. It's a stick. It's a dead stick. Well, it turns out that it is a plumeria plant, and it actually does grow. And all you need is a branch, and you stick it in the ground, and you water it, and it grows. And it's a huge tree now with lots of flowers. But every year, the flowers, uh, the, the leaves fall completely off. Palm trees, you'll never see, unless they're dead, you'll never see them bare. Uh, uh, many trees up, up north lose all their leaves. Well, the fig tree lost its leaves. So whenever you saw the little buds starting to come up, and whenever you saw the leaves starting to sprout, that was the clue that, oh, it's going to be summer soon. Winter is over. And Jesus says, those are the clues that will let you know, just like these signs that he's talked about, that this destruction is coming near. When he talks about the when of his second coming, the answer is, nobody knows except God. Humans don't know. Angels don't know. Not even the Son of Man himself. Now, as you might imagine, that concept and that verse has given biblical scholars and believers a bit of a fit. How can Jesus not know? Is there anything that Jesus wouldn't know? Well, part of the challenge is understanding and remembering that while he lived on earth, he was limited in many ways by his physical existence. Just as you and I have certain limits in our bodies, Jesus put himself in a situation where he also experienced many of those limits. And so, so there were some things that he, as the Son of Man on earth, God's Son on earth, was not privy to and didn't know, and so God was the only one who knew that. Now, all of the information that we've read and talked about between yesterday and today about the destruction of Jerusalem isn't that relevant to us. It happened, it's over, and it's a history story. It's a history lesson. But the other part about Jesus' coming again is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. But the challenge is, it's, it's been so long. And when Jesus first spoke these words, he was speaking to a group of people that were facing pretty significant hardships. They were facing uh, uh, oppression by their government. They were face, facing persecution by the religious leaders. And so the idea of the Son of Man coming back to rescue and take away his people and take them back home was a very appealing thought. I don't know that it has the same appeal in today's world. We've got a kind of comfortable life here. We've got our cars and our homes, and and while we don't like our jobs, they're okay. We've got our favorite restaurants. We have our routines. We have Sunday afternoon football coming back. And as we think about Jesus taking away, taking us away from all this, it's like, I kind of like my life. I like my grandkids. I like the things that I'm doing. But when we think that way, we're kind of missing the boat about what this is all about. Jesus is coming back to take us home. Now, when you hear talk 
about the second coming, the day of judgment. I, I don't know whether that brings up anxiety or brings up happiness in your heart. For many people, they picture Jesus' return as a day of wailing and gnashing of teeth and destruction on a wide scale. But as you think about that, however you might perceive that, the the, the thing to keep in mind is that Jesus is coming back to be the judge, not a doubt. But he is also the same Jesus as he was here on earth. And he was a compassionate, caring, loving individual. The New Testament proclaims, this is from Frederick Buchner, he says, The New Testament proclaims that at some unforeseeable time in the future, God will ring down the final curtain on history. And there will come a day on which all our days and all the judgments fall upon us. And all our judgments upon each other will then themselves be judged. The judge will be Christ. In other words, the one who judges us most finally will be the one who loves us most fully. There is no other individual who loves you or loves us more than Jesus himself. And Jesus demonstrated his justice and his fairness and his even-handedness as he dealt with individuals while he was here on earth. And he's the same Jesus. So as we think about the day of judgment, the last thing that Jesus or God wants is that we be paralyzed with fear. But rather what they ask of us is that we live in a constant state of readiness for his return. A constant state of of readiness. Now, there are a few vocations and a few places in the world where we expect a constant state of readiness. One of those is restaurants. No matter what time of day you go to a restaurant, you expect them to have food and you expect them to serve you. When we lived in Buenos Aires, we would have visitors come from the states, and there was a group of elders and church leaders from uh, a church in Memphis that came to see us. And it was around 4.30, 5 o'clock, uh, and for them, that was dinner time. And they said, well, let's go to a restaurant and have dinner. And we said, well, y- you see, the restaurants aren't open. And they said, well, what do you mean they're not open? I said, no, they close in the afternoon. They close after lunch, and that's when they go off and they buy their supplies or whatever, and they don't open until like 8 o'clock. They said, no, that that, that can't be. I said, well, we've lived here for a couple years, and that's kind of how it works. They didn't believe us. So we put them off as long as we could. They were just almost passed out due to hunger. And uh, and so at 7 o'clock, we went to the restaurant, and sure enough, it was still closed. At 8 o'clock, they finally unlock the door. We go in. The waiters are still putting on their ties, and they're still fixing up the tables and stuff because they just have a different style. In the expectation of these brothers from, uh, from Memphis, a restaurant was a place that should be in a constant state of readiness. Well, 
rooms and places and vocations that are more significant are places like emergency rooms. I went to visit someone, uh, uh, it was about, I guess, six weeks ago at Ryder Trauma Center. Uh, this individual was airlifted from the Cayman Islands uh, and, and had a massive surgery uh, take place uh, with his intestines. So I was talking with him and some of the nurses that were there caring for them and said, yeah, the, the, at Ryder Trauma Center, the operating rooms are open 24-7. There's no waiting you get there, they evaluate, and if you need surgery, you get it done right then, 24-7. Can you imagine needing an emergency procedure, and then you get to the hospital, and you get to the emergency room, they say, oh, oh give us just a second, we need to sterilize some tools over here. Oh, we, we've still got some, some dirty cloths uh, on the table there, on the, on the, and we've got to clean that up. Oh, oh, give us just a second, because they were taking a lunch break, and, well, no. Fire and rescue. When you call 911 and say, my house is on fire, you don't want them to say, oh, wait a second, we've got to put gas in the truck. It'll just take us just a minute if you'll just give us. No. If, uh, uh, you know, I appreciate so much Janelle and uh, the, 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 the group that went out, service project, they took cookies to our local firehouses, uh, fire stations, and to some of our uh, police uh, stations nearby. And one of the things, as I was looking at the pictures, and one of the things that I know just from knowing firemen and seeing uh, fire stations is they're ready. They have their boots lined up. They've got this lined up. So at the drop of a hat, the first second that bell goes off, they drop everything, and they can jump into their outfit, and they can put on their, 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 their waders or whatever it is they have and their equipment, and they can get in that truck, and they can get on the road. Constant state of readiness. We expect the same thing from our police and our military. Uh, uh, the, the response time, unfortunately, it's a horrible thing that we can congratulate our military and our police forces for their quick response time to mass shootings. That says a lot about where we are in America right now, but the fact that they are ready is a good thing, a constant state of readiness. So, with that understanding, why aren't people ready? It's going to catch them off guard. It'll catch Christians off guard. It'll be like, whoa, wait a minute, that's happening now? I didn't know that he was going to do that. It was an interview a couple months back on NPR with, with a lady who is a research, research scientist at Mesoscale Meteorological Studies. She goes to cities where there have been major climatic disasters, tornadoes, hurricanes, things like that, and tries to understand why people get killed in storms that should be survivable. Why does that happen? And she says, basically, people fail to heed the warnings. We give people days of alert that their general region may be threatened. But people are getting too smart about this. They know that even if a region in general is at risk, that doesn't necessarily mean there will be a tornado that hits their house or the hurricane will follow its path. So people wait till things are really, really bad. They 
do what these individuals call, they wait to confirm the threat. There was a threat in the South Atlantic week before last. It looked like it was going to be bad. As a result, they shut down the, 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 um, the, the shelter for the children, uh, the migrant children in, in Homestead, and they relocated them elsewhere, and then the threat disappears. No storm. That happens regularly. If we freaked out every time we were in the cone of death, where would we be? So what we do we do? We wait. We wait. And then when it looks like we're a couple days out, we run to the store, <laughs> along with everybody else in Miami, and there's no bread and there's no water and then there's no milk and just, you know, there, there, there you have it. Lines at the gas station. You know, this is, we're already in hurricane season, right? In an ideal world, if we were living in a constant state of readiness, we would have our batteries. We would have our water. We would have our generator. We might even have a couple things of gas just to be ready. And I'm not going to ask you to raise hands because I'd have to not raise my hand too. But it's that sense of being prepared. And what Jesus is telling us is that as of 2,000 years ago, we're on notice that, okay, we're in the cone. It can happen any day, any time. But we tend to minimize and we tend to put it off. We do that with things that we don't like. We avoid going to the doctor because he might tell us it's bad news. We avoid taking this particular medication because, well, it might make me feel worse. We avoid situations that will make us uncomfortable. And that's how we view the second coming. So, so what if we looked at it a little bit differently? See, see this text that we read talks about this landowner, this homeowner that went away and came back. So, so what if we looked at Jesus' coming as kind of a surprise party for him? So we don't know when he's going to show up. But we're doing the work of getting ready now. We're making the cake. We're putting up the balloons. We're hanging the streamers. We're getting ourselves in position. And we're waiting for that moment when he comes through the door. Except... At that particular moment, rather than us shouting surprise, he will shout surprise. <laughs> Robbie Robbins was an Air Force pilot during the first Iraq war. After his 300th mission, still alive, after his 300th mission, he was surprised to be given permission to immediately pull his crew together and fly his plane home. They flew across the ocean to Massachusetts, a long drive to western Pennsylvania. They drove all night, and when, he's, and when his buddies dropped him off at his driveway, just after sunup, there was a big banner across to the garage, Welcome Home, Dad. But he couldn't figure it out. How did they know? I mean, this was like a top secret clearance thing. Nobody knew. And they didn't even know when they were going to arrive because he managed to get his flight across the ocean a lot quicker than they had anticipated. None of his co-workers. So he walks in the house and the kids, half 
dressed for school, getting ready for the morning, came running out and said, Daddy! And the house was set up for a party. A welcome home party. And so he's baffled and he looks at his wife, Susan, and says, How did you know I was coming home today? And she says, We didn't. We knew that as soon as the war was over, you were going to come home. And we didn't know when that was going to be. But we wanted to make sure whenever you came home, that we'd be ready for you. So they had set up this surprise party just waiting for dad to walk through that door. And I think that's the image that Jesus wants us to have. Let's get our house in order. Let's prepare now so that when he arrives... When the owner of the house comes back, whether it be at nighttime, at midnight, first thing in the morning, and then we'll all be ready. So what does he expect us to be doing? Number one, be faithful. Stick to what you know is true and do it. We've already talked about how the most important commands in all of Scripture are love God And love people. Don't decide who you love. Don't think about how much you want to love God. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love people in the same way. Be diligent. We don't know when it's going to come. And we can be ready at whatever moment. When we lived in Montgomery, we heard a lot about Bear Bryant. Uh, Many consider him to be one of the greatest football coaches, college football coaches of all time. He was uh, a longtime coach at uh, Alabama, and and I'm not going to say Roll Tide, uh, uh, but, uh, but some of you might. Stephen Johnson might if he were here. So one of his players remembered a speech that he gave them before the game. And basically, this is what he said. In this game, there are going to be four or five plays that will determine the outcome of this contest. Four or five plays that will swing the momentum toward us or away from us. Now, I don't know which plays these will be. You don't know which plays these will be. All you can do is go out there and give all that you have on each and every play. If you are doing that on one of these crucial plays and you catch your opponent giving less, that play will swing things in our direction. And if we rise to the occasion like that on those four or five plays, we're going to leave here today a winner. The next person that you encounter that needs help might be one of those crucial plays. The next decision you make to step closer and lean into God and avoid some behavior or habit or activity that you know will take you farther from God, that might be the difference that makes all the difference in the world. Hindsight might tell us which those are. But from where we sit, all we can do is go out, prepare for Jesus' coming, make the most extravagant and 
uh, 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 fun-filled celebration we can think of, doing the things that he would love, like being nice to people, loving people, sharing what we have, things that he's talked about over and over and over. And one of these days, he'll walk through that door. And one of these days, we're going to say, wow, I'm so glad I made that decision and that choice on August 11th, 2019. If we can pray for you, if we can walk with you through some of those decisions, we'd love to. If you need strength in a decision you need to make about God, whether it be for deeper faith or whether it to be taking a step towards him through baptism or a step towards membership here at this congregation, we want to help. If you need prayers to help you lean into God and lean away from some sort of practice, some sort of habit, some sort of activity you're doing, we, we want to help you with that.